Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludi is entitled The Egratean Growl. Without revealing what Egratea is, suffice it to say it is the engine of the spiritual vehicle. This message takes the idea of self-control a level deeper, and it exposes that the human condition is all too often passivity, and we as Christians must recognize that the Spirit of God plants within us a fierce diligence to see God take control of every angle of our being. Please contact us at www.ellersley.com. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludi. The Egratean Growl. It'll probably be the least listened to message online ever. Because everyone will be intimidated just by the name. I knew that when I picked it. I knew it and I figured I would might as well just have fun one of these weeks and pick a title that actually fits perfectly. So the Egratean Growl. Don't worry, you will understand what it means by the time we're done, but it is a little intimidating at the, at the front end. That's a Greek word. Egratea is sort of our key Greek word for the day, even though I'm going to introduce you to a few of them. Egratea, typically translated self-control. If you go to some of the older translations, you're going to get the word temperance. Neither of the words would I say fully captures it, because the concept of self-control is a bit misleading to our minds. Because when we think of self-control, we think of us being in control. And so when you tell a kid to have self-control, what are you typically telling them to do? Be in control of your body. Be in control of your mind. It's a part truth. But self-control is not something that is derived from our own strength. And as a result, it can be misleading as far as a term or a description for what egretea is. Temperance. Have you ever heard of a temperate uh, climate, you know, like San Diego, where it doesn't ever get too hot or too cold? It's temperate. And that's also a very good word for self-control, but it lacks the muscular dimension of the word, which self-control has. You see, the word self-control has the word control or dominion or it's a conquering type of concept. And that's what egretea is. It's an overcoming, controlling type of concept. Temperance doesn't have that. And so as a result, they're both accurate, but neither is as full as it needs to be. And that's one of the reasons we need a message like this. About once a year, once every year and a half, I'll whip out a message on Egretea. It's one of my favorite things to teach on for some reason. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe God's saying, Eric, we need a little more Egretea in you, and so we're going to whip out another message so that you can hear yourself preach it. So when I'm preparing a message, I'm very sensitive to the fact that as a vehicle or a deliverer of the gospel, this must be true in me. And this is one of those messages, every time I bring it up, that God just always goes a little deeper with it, keeps pressing it deeper into my life, because this is just like maturity of any, any kind. You know, my little, little Kipling is five years old, and he's so much more mature than when he was two. And yet, he has more maturing to do, but that doesn't mean I criticize where he's at as a five-year-old. He's actually coming along quite well. Well done, little one. But I also want him to know that there's a lot more development that's needed. There's some sharp edges that still need to be refined. And it's the same with our egretea. As God is growing us up, we are not yet finished, and yet there's the beginnings or the showing forth of something that is supernatural in us. So egretea, self-control. The egretean growl. You see, the word egretea has mustard in it. 
It has horseradish in it. It has oomph in it. And so the word growl, which I said fits well with my voice today, since my voice is sort of a, well, what was it? Friday morning, we were doing early morning prayer. I had the deep, bassy voice. I wish I had that for this message. It would be perfect. But the Egritean growl, the concept is it's almost a growl without even having to use the word growl. But you need to know that it's a growl. It's a position. It's strength. It's authority. And so that's the term at Ellerslie we oftentimes will use is the growl. When I'm talking with men, I'm like, yeah, poke them in the chest and I say, you need to pray for a growl in your soul. Because there's nothing worse than a passive spiritual man who allows the enemy to do whatever the enemy wants to in his life. There has to be a growl that says, no, no. This territory belongs to Jesus Christ. That's what we call the growl. It's a growl. It's an Egretean growl. This is God's territory. So here we are in the Civil War, and one of the key commands was to uh, John Buford. Buford, hold the high ground. Well, there's our Egretean growl, and you can almost even hear the growl. They had the beards and, you know... They probably had the smokers' voices, Buford, hold the high ground. That's the pivotal command that won the day at Gettysburg. That's an Egretean growl. It means they have territory, now they need to keep it. But there's two dimensions to how an Egretean growl works. First is they have to gain the high ground, and that isn't necessarily said in here. But first you have to gain the high ground, then you need to keep the high ground. Both are an Egretean growl. When the Egretean growl goes missing, uh uh-oh, well, you get what most of you have grown up with. Most of you haven't been around a Christianity with an Egretean growl, so this is just more what you're used to. So when the Egretean growl goes missing, look at Proverbs 25. He that has no rule over his own spirit, he that has no Egretean growl over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. How is that city going to do when an enemy wants to overtake it? You see, when an enemy comes against a city without walls, the city without walls has no defense. And as a result, a city without walls will end up doing whatever the enemy around it desires of them. They are vulnerable and they become a, they become a puppet unto other powers. And that is the same with our life. For those of you that have been puppeted, by the powers around you, whether it be lust, whether it be greed, whether it be fear and anxiety, you're, you're lacking something. What are you lacking? Well, we could probably give it all sorts of different names in Christianity. One of the things that you're lacking is an Egretean growl. You need to recognize that this territory was never intended to be ruled by any other but Jesus Christ. And so when you understand Jesus Christ, you recognize that he's a strong wall. And so if you truly have the gospel then a wall is going to be built up around your life. And that wall is very good at keeping out the enemy. How do we rule inside our own lives? Is it even possible? So you have a city. Most of you have never looked at it as a city. You have territory. You have, Paul calls it a house, a temple. But you have territory. It's real estate on this earth. It just happens to be mobile real estate. And you don't stick a for sale sign in front of this real estate. And yet, it has been purchased. It was purchased by the blood of Jesus. This is territory. This is real estate. And as a result, 
the very most micro-level concepts of government are first and foremost to be applied here. I've been studying government for quite a few weeks now. I used to teach constitutional law, so it's not like I'm just now beginning to learn about government. I know a lot about government. However, I've been studying it afresh, and I've been wanting to wrap my mind around this concept of how to rule a nation. And I know that sounds funny, but what I want to do is I want to understand what God is building his saints for. I want to see Joseph's and I want to see Daniel's raised up in this generation. And so what made them? What are the construction tools and what is the material that makes a Joseph? What makes a Daniel? And of course, it's the same thing that Jesus offers at the cross for all of us. However, a Joseph isn't built just in Potiphar's house. A Joseph is built growing up. In those first 17 years of life, something took place in Joseph's life which laid a foundation. He learned how to govern his own life first. You see, a man is only prepared to get married when he's learned how to govern his own life. So if you, in your body, in this territory, have not yet learned how to govern your thought life, have not yet learned how to govern your tongue, have not yet learned how to govern your eyes, how to govern your ears, how to govern your heart and your emotions, how to govern your feet so that you go where you're supposed to go and not into the territory you're not supposed to go, have learned to govern your hands, if you haven't learned the basics, you're not fit to rule anything else. If you, with what you've been entrusted, you have not proven faithful, and you're not going to get more. At least, you're not going to get more from God. God starts out with a premise. You prove faith with little, and I'll entrust you with much. The man who will lead the church must first prove that he can rule his home. If he can't rule his home, then he's not fit to rule the church. It's just good old-fashioned logic. And so when it comes to this, can you even rule this body? Is it even possible? Many of us in Christianity today have thrown up our hands and said, no, it's not possible to rule this body properly. However, do you remember what word we're learning today? Egretea? You know what that means? To rule the body. That's actually what it means, and it's something that is gifted to you by the Spirit of God. To do what? To rule the body. Well, guess what? That same instrument or that same operation of the Spirit to rule your body is the same operation you'll use to lead a marriage to lead a family, to lead a church, same stuff. So if you learn this at the most micro level, at the personal level, you'll be fit for some of the greatest tasks known to man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Can you understand why people have come to the conclusion that the body cannot be ruled? When the littlest member in its midst, the tongue, God himself is making it clear, but no man can tame it. No man can do it. Now, so you can come to a conclusion and say, yeah, see, right there, James 3. Yeah, the reason my tongue just goes wild and says whatever it wants is because it says in James 3, 8, no man can tame it. So, you know what, it's useless to even try. No man can tame it, but let me introduce you to someone who can. His name's God. You see, God can tame the tongue. So it's true that in and of yourself, you do not have it in your own pockets. You do not have your own ability to be able to tame this body and to rule it. As a result, you are controlled by what's known as sin. And that which you want to do in this body, you're not able to do. Because there's a greater power than you and it holds you under its thumb. Principle of sin, the flesh, the old man. It's the firstborn life and that's why Jesus says we must be born again. 
You see, in your firstborn life, you can't tame the tongue, and it's an unruly evil full of deadly poison, and as a result, you harm everyone around you, including yourself. And this tongue gets you into all sorts of trouble. So, let's keep going. A church without self-control, what would that be like? What if none of us allowed the Spirit of God to begin to rule these bodies? What would we be like as a corporate body if we all got together? Huh, that's an interesting thought. Well, a church without self-control is a church vulnerable to faction, division, and contention because you've got a lot of wild tongues going here. Could you imagine if we didn't learn how to wield these tongues in love and in mercy and in kindness and in gentleness and in truth? And we were wielding exactly what the enemy wanted us to speak. At any moment, you get a little frustrated and you start yelling at the person. Usually when we're in church, we have our best you know, clothes on, our best foot forward, have a little polish, you know, slick back the hair, spray a little stuff in our, in our mouth just to make sure that we look better than maybe we really are. You see, are we trying to cover up things here in the church, or are we truly like Jesus? You see, God has given us the equipment that we don't need to try and spritz hair up and add polish, you know, and some type of Botox treatment to our outside man so that the world will think we're something better than we are. We actually are supposed to be changed into the behavior of Jesus Christ. In reality, not in some uh, external fake thing. So if we have no self-control, we are vulnerable. A Christian without self-control is the devil's tool of choice for invading and destroying the church. So imagine that every single one of us in here is like, you know what? Jesus rules this territory. I give my life to Jesus. Come in, Jesus, and rule this body the way only you can. But imagine one of you decides to go rogue. You're like, yeah, you know, I don't want to give my life to Jesus. I'd like to hang out with the body, and I'd like the benefits of Christianity, but there's no way I'm going to let Jesus rule this body. And so you've gone rogue. In other words, you're a Christian without self-control. Who's the devil going to pick in our midst to use as his instrument to destroy this very body? He's going to pick the one without self-control. You see, the devil isn't dumb. The devil knows how to divide. He knows how to bring faction. He knows how to bring division. And he looks for those that have no walls around their property. You see... He doesn't want to work any harder than he needs to. He's like one of those lions that is sleeping in the Serengeti. You know, he's licking his paws, and he likes to just sort of lay in the, in the shade. And then the wildebeests are traipsing by, and, you know, he's hungry. And he's looking for some food for the day. And so what's he going to look for? He's going to look for the slowest, the youngest, or the oldest. In other words, he's looking for easy catch. And the same is true here. He's going to invade our midst and attempt to destroy us as the body by looking for the easiest access point. And that's going to be someone without self-control. A husband without self-control is often perverted, angry, domineering, and violent. A wife without self-control is often lacking discretion, gossiping, slandering, manipulative, and nagging. We don't need any amens in here, by the way. That, that isn't necessary. <laughs> A father without self-control is often harsh, overreactive, enraged, and abusive. A man without self-control is often a sexually polluted, rage-filled mess. A woman without self-control is often a loose-tongued, meddling, manipulative mess. Self-control. First, what it is not. Self-control is not you 
finally figuring out how you can rule your body. Waking up one day and saying, that's enough. Enough is enough. I am no longer going to think these thoughts. I am no longer going to speak that way to my wife. I am no longer going to speak that way to my kids. No, I'm going to change today. I'm going to get this down. I am no longer going to look at that. I'm no longer going to go into this type of building. I am no longer going to do this, this, or this. Spend my money this way. Gamble it away over here. I am going to stop that right now. That is not self-control. Give it your best. You cannot change the fact that you are empty-pocketed and you are ill-equipped to tame this wild stallion known as the firstborn life. You need help, but until you recognize that self-control is not derived, ironically, from self, then you will always flail about in an attempt to change the course of your life and your behavior. So here's our scripture in Colossians that enunciates this. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Let's just stop right there. Now, most of us, if we're going to say, how do you deal with your sexual misconduct? Well, you need to stay away from it. You need to not touch, taste, or handle. If you just stop and and refrain from these things, don't ever go in there, don't ever look over here, then you'll be fine. What does Paul say? These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You see, you have a problem. And that problem will not be changed by you giving your best strength to the occasion. Where does this leave you, though? If you take away all the things that you could do to solve your problem, it doesn't leave you very much other than to just give way and say, well, all right, I won't try at all then. Actually, self-control is something very, very significant and you must have it in your life. However, you need to know how to get it. It does not come through putting rules up in your life. It does not come by saying, all right, I will only look at the internet from 1 to 2 p.m. every day, and every minute after that, I will refrain from doing it, and therefore, I will never look at something bad on the internet. Well, that isn't how it works. How many of you have tried by self-imposed religion to create boundaries in your life that would prohibit you from doing that thing that always seems to take place in your life at the most inopportune times? And so you have corrected your life and put up some nice rules in there. And what happens? Well, the moment you find yourself in an unusual situation where your rules aren't there, guess what? You're the same beast you were before. And you behave in the same manner, the same animalistic manner you did before you put up all your rules you see you did not change the fact that you're still the firstborn behaving under the throw under the control of the flesh this isn't how you change the human life this isn't how you rule the human life though it appears wise though every single one of us would have to admit that that's the wisest thing you could do eric what else is there well the other option is called christianity You see, this isn't how Christianity functions, though many of you have been grown up in a home that taught you that this is how it functioned. Self-control, now what it is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Egretea. Whoa, look at it. She's sitting there. 
Now, in the actual translation, it doesn't have the numbers there for you, but I'm just sort of laying it out for you so you can see it. Boom! The fruit of the Spirit is. So what we have is we have something that is not born of man. It doesn't say the fruit of the flesh is. That was the list right before this. If you give your body the ability to try and lead your life, you're going to produce something called the fruit of the flesh. If you try and dig in your own pockets to solve your life's dilemma and to change your behavior, you're going to produce something called the fruit of the flesh. You may give your best energies. You can put up all the restrictions, all the restraints you want. However, that which is coming forth out of this machinery is still going to be putrid in the eyes of heaven. You need a different operation within you. It's called the Spirit of God. You need God to move in, God to take over this body and say, mine. And when he takes these different operations, which the Bible calls members, your eyes would be like a member. Your tongue is called the littlest member. Your ears, your uh, hearts, your hands, your feet, your sexuality, your appetite. These are the operations of the human life that are running wild. And they're destroying you and everyone around you. But when you turn them over to Jesus Christ and say, Spirit of God, enter in and take this body and control it as only you can. What comes out of that is fruit. It's a fruit that cannot be mimicked, cannot be imitated in our own ability. You see, we can show a certain amount of love, but we're still self-focused. We can have joy, but yeah, it's always circumstantial. When your team wins the Super Bowl, you're excited. When they lose, you're devastated. I'm not trying to make a statement there for any of you. (laughs) Peace is all based on circumstances as well. If everything is calm and happy, but what about when you're thrown into prison? A Christian can sing in prison, can be marked by the fullness of joy in prison. How? Well, because their climate is not controlled by the world. Their climate is controlled by God Almighty. When God comes into this life, he's temperature controlled and he's temperate. You see, he's always 70 degrees and sunny inside of your soul, though on the outside of your life, there's chaos, hurricanes, tsunamis. It doesn't matter. You see, you are controlled by something different, and that's the term egretea. Egretea, typically translated self-control or temperance. Okay, so as we go, you'll begin to realize If you try and drum this up in your own pockets, dig down deep in your own pockets. I know I have it here somewhere. I know I can do this for you, God. He says, you must do it. And then we go, okay, I'll do it for you. And we dig around in our pockets and he says, but you can't do it. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction when God says you must do it, but you can't do it? You see, what the law is that he gives in the old covenant is to train us in our inability to say, you can't do it, can you, Eric? I said, I can't. And then he says, but you must do it. I know, God, but I can't do it. Which either leads us to despair or it leads us to the cross. And what the cross is is saying, Eric, I did it for you. You see, I have done the work. It is finished. That which was requisite, that which was necessary for you to gain that which you need. To be able to function in this body the way you must. But it doesn't come from you. You're not going to find it internally. You're going to find it from me. You see, the secret to imitating Christ is impartation. You need something from the outside which will enable you 
to showcase the life of Jesus because you cannot imitate God in your own strength. You're not like God. But God is very good at imitating himself. He is God. The boxing ring. So I've used this illustration a few times at Ellerslie. Let's imagine this stage is a boxing ring. So there's these ropes around the outside. It's a defined territory, just like your soul or your body. Now in this ring, there you are. Except for, picture yourself about one-tenth the size that you actually think of yourself as. Because right now you're thinking of yourself all, you know, sculpted with muscle. Some of the girls in here are like, no, I wasn't. <laughs> but actually, you don't know how to box at all. Okay, I grew up watching boxing, which is, once you think about what boxing is, you're like, I watch that? I mean, here these guys are beating each other up, like, yeah, go, go. But imagine that you know, you're this little teeny dweebish thing, okay? And you don't even know how to hold your gloves. You're sort of like this up there. Meanwhile, Goliath steps over into the ring and he is 12 and a half feet tall. You're about two feet, okay? And you're all skinny and, you know, you just aren't built for this. And yet you hear the command of God that says, yeah, you must uh, have purity in that ring. Nothing that is dark, nothing that is sinful can enter in here. So what do you do? You look at Goliath, you back into your corner, he chuckles and laughs, comes up. He doesn't even have to throw a punch, he just picks you up and hurls you out. He says, I rule here. He beats you up for a living. Most of you, that's all you've known in your life is being beat up by lust, fear and anxiety, greed, pride, gossip. These things control you. And so, of course, in my illustration, you're like, yeah, you're not giving me much opportunity or hope here in your story, are you? You see, we have been given and entrusted a ring, but something has gone wrong in it. It is not as it ought to be, which is righteousness. Righteousness means as a man ought to be. And this ring is supposed to be God's ring. It's supposed to be for his glory. And yet look at it right now. Goliath is mocking God in your ring. That's not as it ought to be. The power of sin is mocking God, literally snubbing its nose at heaven saying, oh, and, and you love this? Look at it. You see, the devil wants you to go where he's going. Eternal separation from God in hell. Yet God so loved the world that he sent forth the champion boxer you see, you might be impressed with Goliath's 12 and a half feet, but have you ever seen God Almighty step into the ring? Well, I don't know how high we, you know, what type of size we would give him because he came in weakness. But even in his weakness, what is he? A thousand times bigger? Even in his weakness? Even with two hands pinned to a cross, naked? He crushes the head of the serpent. You see, it says of Saul, Saul slayed his thousands. It says of David, he Slate is tens of thousands. Jesus is tens of billions. In weakness, he did it. He steps over into your ring, and Goliath sort of looks up, turns pale, and Jesus goes, <laughs> You see, you may be small, but who have you invited into the ring? Or have you invited him into the ring? You see, when Jesus moves into the ring, the enemy has no power. He has no authority there. It is finished, it is done. This ring belongs to God Almighty. 
Jesus Christ is the one that purchased it. He's the one that defeated your foe. He is the one that will exert that authority. And this is where you come in. You see, egretea has to do with self. And that's what's hard for us to comprehend. And that's what's difficult for us in translation of the word. How do you deal with this? Because we, the reason the Goliath even has authority here to start with, is because there's a throne in our life. It's a place of control. It's the director's chair. Whoever sits in it is basically saying, I rule around here. And what did you do? You've sat in that seat, just like Adam and Eve did, which is what led to their destruction. They ate of the tree, and what did Satan say? You could be as gods. You don't need God. He's sitting in that seat. You could sit there, and you could rule your life. You don't need him to rule it. They fell for it. So have we. And what did we do? We sat on the seat. And what did that do? That empowered the flesh, the principle of sin in our life that now is controlled. You see, there's some small print under what Satan told Adam and Eve that they obviously didn't read. The day in which you do this, you will surely die. You will be controlled by the powers of darkness. No longer will the Spirit of God rule your ring. Therefore, whatever darkness wants to do, it can do. Woe is us. Who can save us from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have two things that Egretea is built for. The two operations of self-control. Kick out and keep out. Two different dimensions. So you find yourself as a Christian believing in Jesus Christ Well, then you receive something from him. It's called grace. It's a work of the Spirit of God where he's beginning to acquaint you with how this ring works. And he says, you now have my authority to actually drive out whatever is in your ring that doesn't belong there. And so, as a result, just like taking the land of promise, the Israelites still had to step forward. They had to fight And yet God is the one that went before them and won the battles for them. That's the same with us. We actually have to stand in agreement with the living God and begin to take steps forward as a a little teeny thing against Goliath and say, Goliath, he goes, you talking to me? Yeah. In the name of Jesus, whom I serve and who you could see standing behind me with his fist ready to knock you out of the ring, in his name, I command you to leave this ring. Goliath has no choice. You see, when you exert the authority over this ring, those powers that have controlled you in the past actually turn white, pale, and they cannot stand. The only reason they will remain is if you do not use your authority. You see, it's your responsibility to kick out, and that's part of what Egretea is. It is the authority and the power and the strength of God to remove that out of your life which has no authority to be there. This this is purchased by the blood of Jesus. Now do it. You have the gift of grace in your life known as egretea. It is a fruition, an evidence that the Spirit of God is working in you. Do it. Drive it out. Typically the Bible would call it renouncing sin where you literally disconnect from it. It's like having a light plugged in, unplugging it. Oh, what happens? The light goes out. You must disconnect. You have legally given access into your life. Now, legally, in the authority of Jesus Christ, drive it out. 
in the name of Jesus Christ, get out of here. You don't even need to say it loudly. You can whisper it for that matter. You take your position. You know your position. You are not going to be ruled by that any longer. Second, keep out. So we have a ring. It's a defined territory. And the enemy, have you ever noticed that when you boot the enemy out, he doesn't seem to be too excited about it and he isn't interested in staying out? And so your job is to be a sentinel. It's called egretea, to watch over this ring and to make sure that nothing enters it. And so God actually gives you a certain alarm system. And that alarm system throughout Christian history has been termed temperance. So that if the enemy, say he's over here, you're looking out over here, he makes a noise over here, he's like, hark, who goes there? And then what's the enemy doing? He's sneaking over here. The moment he touches the rope, eh, eh, eh. and so you're like, hark, who, uh. get out. You see that alarm, if you listen to it and you respond immediately, will keep this ring. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is not just the authority to kick out, but then to keep out. Temperance means if you get too hot towards the things of this world or too cold towards the things of Christ, there's an alarm that will go off in your soul. The problem is most of us have not been trained to heed that alarm, but you've been entrusted with an alarm by the grace of the Spirit of God. And he says, learn to heed that. The moment you hear it, respond. And if you respond, guess what? The enemy will be kicked out, and he will be kept out. But what's getting kicked out? First, self gets the boot. Remember where self is? Flunk. Seated right on that throne. And what's causing Goliath to have authority here? It's that self is in an improper position. So what is self-control to start with? It's self being controlled. You see, you have to submit You have to die, which doesn't actually mean type of dying in your case. It means relinquishing position. For instance, if I entered a plane, I would be entering into a higher law called the law of aerodynamics. So the law of gravity would no longer hinder me from flying. So I am dead to the law of gravity. I must become dead to sin. How do I do that? By entering into Christ. By entering into Christ, I am operating according to a higher power, a higher authority, or a higher law, just like the law of aerodynamics. So when self agrees with God and dies to itself or denies itself and bends its knee and relinquishes the throne, self is now under control. So we could call it self-controlled. And then, second, self is empowered to give the boot. So who's getting kicked out? Well, self gets kicked off the throne and then is told by the Spirit of God, now exert the authority I've given you as my head butler. So we have masqueraded as the king of this property when in actuality we were only a butler. So we must be demoted back down to our proper position, but then when we're in our proper position, God will give us authority to begin to rule this ring. And that's called self being in control, but not in the way that most of us would think. You see, for self to truly control the body, self must first be under the control of the spirit. That's why this is a fruit of the spirit. The anatomy of egretea. First, I, self, 
must be controlled, submitted, subjected to the lordship of Jesus Christ, the rule of the Spirit of God, and the authority of the word of Scripture. When that happens, and I say, yes, Lord, I allow him to take my ear and pierce it. And so I have an ear for my master now. And whatever he asks of me, I have a predecided yes, Lord, whatever you say, Lord. His word is authoritative in my life. Whatever the Spirit of God asks me to do, I say yes. Whatever is Jesus in my life, whatever would exalt Jesus in my life, that's what I'm here for. So then it is no longer I who lives or who controls the body, but Christ who lives within the body. Thusly, I is now in its proper position, crucified yet alive, denied and yet yielded to behave as it ought. It is now able to exert the authority of Jesus Christ over the body, its impulses, its weaknesses, and its fleshly longings. So self, which is us, God loves us, and yet he doesn't love self-centeredness. You see, what self is supposed to be is self-given, self-denying. And when self is like God, where he's not thinking about himself, but he's thinking about the benefit of others, self becomes what it's supposed to be, which is a servant to the spirit. You see, we're not supposed to be selfish. We're supposed to be selfless. And when we function as we ought, then we are entrusted with the authority to behave in this body as we ought. And so I, or self, must be demoted. We must bend our knee to a new master of this estate, Jesus Christ, his word, his spirit. Whatever he asks of us, we will do. And when we take that position, did you know that this estate, this body, comes under our control? And so, does, you know, that means your eyes. You know those eyes of yours that seem to look where they're not supposed to look? You know that you actually have the authority in your body to tell your eyes where to look and to keep looking there and to not look back? Did you know that you have the authority in your body to tell your mind to not think one more turn or revolution on that thought, but to immediately halt it and to say, nope, that's not allowed in this body? You see, you have egretea which means you can authoritatively dictate to your body and say, that goes. Uh-huh, that can come on in. Mm-hmm. How are you testing everything according to the word of God? So whatever God says, you either say no or yes. You take every thought captive to the will of Christ Jesus. This is how you do it. It's with the grace of God within you, but you must know you have it. If you don't know that you have this gift of grace from the spirit of God, well, guess what? You won't use it. You'll be a pushover within your body. Any thought that wants to come flooding in, you're a victim to it. You're not a victim. You're a victor. So start behaving as one. If you know Jesus Christ, then you have been set right and you've been given all the equipment to function as you ought. Do you know that your sexuality no longer rules you? We are not ruled from the middle of our body anymore. We are ruled from a head, which is called Jesus Christ. No longer do we behave as animals, but we behave as noble men and women. We are no longer demonstrating the power of sin to the glory of the devil. We are demonstrating the power of righteousness to the glory of Jesus Christ. We're called Christians. And these bodies belong to Jesus, and he has made us the head butler to exert the authority that is found in Jesus Christ. And then finally, self is now controlled by Jesus in order to now control the body as it ought which is called, in most of our understanding, self-control. 
1 Corinthians 9. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. And every man that strives to the mastery is egratumai. That's our word right there. It says that every man that strives for the mastery is egratumai in all things. So that means in every dimension of your life, When you live as God has commissioned you to live, with mastery over every dimension that God has entrusted you, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your tongue, your heart, your hands, your feet, your energy, your time, your sleep, your sexuality, your appetite, every single one of these, you have striven for mastery in agreement with the Spirit of God and the Word of God in your life. And as a result, you are controlled in all things. In all of these dimensions in your life, you are actually in control, under the control of the Spirit of God. And that's how you rule a body. That's how you lead a marriage. That's how you lead a family. That's how you lead a church. In egratumai. It is not dictatorial defiance towards things that are nice and healthy. Like, I don't just command you guys, all of you, sit down now. There's a difference between sheep and wolves. And when you're a shepherd, you learn how to handle wolves and sheep differently. Egratumai is knowing how to keep the wolves away from the sheep and knowing how to command them back in the authority of Jesus Christ. However, the way you treat your sheep is very different. The sheep feel the warmth and the embrace of God. They feel the closeness of God. You know that God has wrath? However, that wrath is not going to be kindled on his sheep. It will be kindled on the wolves. And so as a result, the same is true with us. We learn how to allow the egratumai that prize fighter strength, that conquering spirit. We are more than conquerors. We have egratumai, and yet we are not harsh, controlling and domineering towards the sheep, but we are very strong and authoritative towards that which is wolfish in our life. So in every man that strives for the mastery is egratumai in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, So I fight, so fight I, not as one that beats the air. So imagine we're in a ring here, which is exactly the illustration that Paul is using. So imagine that there's an alarm going off over here, and the enemy's trying to sneak in. What good is it if I'm like, over here? I'm beating the air. You see, it's not just that I throw punches. It's that I am very, I'm seeking mastery of this ring. And if that alarm goes off, where do I go? I go here. I go to the precise point of attack. If it's coming in over here, then I come over here. I leverage the authority and the grace that God has given me to keep this ring clean. So what does Paul say? He says, but I keep under my body, which is one of the worst grammatical statements I can imagine in the Bible for us in the English language. But I keep my body under, which basically means I keep my body under control. The term is egretumai. The term is egretea actually here. So it's actually saying, I have my body under control and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The Egretean growl. So here's another example of an Egretean growl, just sort of like Buford, hold the high ground. In Christ, you have it, so use it. That's like what a general needs to say to you guys. So the preacher in me wants to say to you guys this morning, what's your position? If you're in Christ, you have it. So use it. Don't sit around and go, oh, woe is me. It just keeps getting me. 
You have the authority of Jesus Christ. Use it. Use the egratumai, the egratea that you have to exert the authority over this body. You have it if you are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, you have it, so use it. So what does Paul say? He gives you a little egratea growl here. Egratean, I need to get my term right here. He gives us an egratean growl, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Doesn't he understand he's talking to people that have no ability to control their body? He's concluding an entire argument in Romans 6 saying, because of what Christ has done, a way has been made. You have entered into his death, therefore the old man that once controlled this ring is dead, no longer has authority. And you have newness of life in Christ Jesus. Reckon this true. You have it, saints of God. Now, let not sin, therefore reign in this body. That is an egretean growl from Paul the Apostle to us. From God, through Paul the Apostle, to us. Do you hear it? You have the resources. You have the machinery. You have the artillery. You have everything you need, saints of God. Use it. Oh, here's another egretean growl. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. The Greek word is andridzomai which in the most simple enunciation translation means be a man. Isn't that great? That's an egretean growl, be a man. And all the girls are like, that's a little awkward. (laughs) It's interesting, but even Paul is appealing to something, and that is all of us know what that means. It means strong in defense. When the enemy is coming in, what is a man supposed to do? He's supposed to provide military defense. He's not supposed to just say, oh yeah, come on in and hurt my family. Quit you like men. Be strong. That's an egretean growl. And yet you don't have to dig into your own pockets going, I just, I just feel so weak. You are weak. But the one who stands in the ring and who sits enthroned in your body is not weak. So he has given you everything you need to rule in this territory. Take it. Use it. Exert it. Self-control. Instead of calling it self-control, I'm going to give you a different name for it, which is really ugly, but uh, entire body control, which just sounds like some odd thing. Uh, but entire body control, it's not just self-control. What you have with Egretea is you have ruling dominion over your body under the authority of the Spirit of God. This body is his territory, and yet he has given it to you to say, steward it, master it. Strive for mastering egrotumai in all things in this body so that you would be excellent for all that I commission you to. So the key points of control in the body. I broke this down into four, and there are a lot more that I could have brought up, but I'm focusing on four. Tongue control. So instead of calling it self-control, have you ever thought that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and tongue control? It is. How about I control? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and I control. Thought control. You know that you actually have the spiritual moxie given you, the spiritual oomph given you to control your thought life? You're not a victim to whatever thought wants to come in. You tell your thoughts exactly what 
there to do. If one starts knocking, you go through the little peephole and like, hark, who goes there? Uh, <clears throat> a dirty thought. <laughs> yeah, uh, we don't accept those around here. Out! And if the thought goes, by whose authority? The authority of Jesus Christ, the owner of the house. Out! He has nothing he can say back. But you must know the authority. If you don't know the authority, that dirty thought knocks, starts pressing on the door, and you're like, I don't know that you're supposed to come in here. And he goes, you have no say in that matter. Dirty thoughts can come in. I've come in your entire life. Why do you think you can keep me out now? You don't have any argument back. Well, I just don't think it's right for you to come in. Well, here you are. Now you're sitting on the couch getting it all dirty, sticking your feet up on, that's a plant there. You're not supposed to stick your foot on that. Oh, don't take off your shoes. Oh, your feet stink. Yeah, you let a dirty thought in. It's far worse than that. You see, he'll bring in his whole train. You, you bring in Papa dirty thought, and guess what? He has, a, he has a wife and multiple kids, and he has a lot of extended relatives that love to linger near as well and eat from your fridge. So what you need to know is the authority that you have to stop it at the gate. Out. You do not belong here. This territory belongs to Jesus Christ, and I have a very clear assignment that the only thing that's allowed to come here are things that are pure, noble, of good report, praiseworthy. There's a list. You keep it. Keep it stuck to your door if necessary. You look through the peephole, and then he says, yeah, dirty thought. You compare it with the list. Hmm. That doesn't really match. I'm sorry. No entrance here. You must exert the authority that you have. Appetite control. You are not to be bullied by your appetite. Whatever your body craves, that doesn't mean it gets. Who's in control of your body? Your appetite or Jesus Christ? Prove that it's Jesus Christ. Prove that the Spirit of God lives within you. Your appetite belongs to Jesus. It's under his thumb. And it will do as God sees fit. You know that God doesn't mind you enjoying food? There's nothing wrong with food. Anymore, there's something wrong with money. It's when money controls you or food controls you, when sleep controls you. These are the things that will devastate the life of a believer. So, for uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and tongue control, eye control, thought control, and appetite control. It's called egoteia, body control. You are under the control of God Almighty. And as a result, you have been given the authority within this body to tell it how it is to behave. In agreement, not with just what you think, but with the word of God. Tongue control. You see, we're going to start here. In fact, I'm not going to go into the others. I just want to deal with this one. If we deal with tongue control, do you know that we deal with all the others? If you learn how to exert the authority of Jesus Christ over your tongue, did you know that it sort of brings all the other members with it? You have all that you need now to be able to exert authority over your entire body. Tongue control, governing the littlest member. There's something you need for that, and we'll, well, the Bible calls him the Holy Spirit. A few sermons ago, we called him the old servant. That's a, that's a worthwhile message to review again. I'm going to term the Holy Spirit the bold confessor. He is the one, the Holy Spirit's tongue is fully given to the praise and the adoration and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. That's what he does. That's what he does in your life. When he's whispering to you in your life, what's he doing? He's showing you Jesus. 
He's showing you the cross. He's showing you Christ's righteousness. He's saying, yeah, you're not quite like that, are you? He's convicting you of sin because you're not like his Jesus. You see, he's always talking about Jesus. His tongue is completely given to the authority of Jesus Christ. So the only things you're going to hear from the Spirit of God are those things which he has received from Jesus. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. So who's the one that confesses that Jesus is the Son of God first? We're always thinking about us, the church, the Spirit of God. So God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Well, he is God. You see, this is what God confesses. So if you're going to be one with God, well, then you better get the line straight, and that is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus is Jehovah, the I Am, come to save. Hamalageo, hamalageo, just in case you're having trouble with the pronunciation. This is called confession. In translating from this in the Greek to our English language, it's confession. Hamalageo. Now, I want you to look at the word. You have the first four letters, Hama is how you pronounce it. I want to be very clear, that's how you pronounce it. Hama, which does mean like or similar. It's the same concept we understand, that word, to mean for us. It's like or similar, a mirror image, okay? Then we have Legeo. Many of you have heard the word Logos or L-O-G-O-S, Logos. The word of God became flesh. Jesus is the word of God. He is the logos. So what confession is, is utilizing this tongue to have mirror-like similar agreement with the word of God. What the word of God says, this tongue repeats as if it is in a mirror, as if it is exactly the same, and that's what confession is. And this is a hallmark of the beginning of the Christian life. A confession of sin and a confession of faith. Homilageo. John 16. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. How about you? When the spirit of God moves in, is that going to be true about you? You're not just going to speak whatever your flesh wants to speak. You might get a little angry, frustrated, irritated, have a dirty joke there that you'd like to whip out to get a little attention for yourself. Suddenly, no. Your tongue isn't used for that anymore. Now you only take from that which the Spirit of God has given you. And you speak those words that are life-giving. This tongue is now operating in a completely different way. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. This is Jesus talking. The Holy Spirit will receive from me, and he will bring it to you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. So Jesus has everything the Father has, and the Spirit has everything the Son has. And now what do you have? Well, you have everything the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have. That's what you have. And what you speak will demonstrate. How this tongue is used will demonstrate if the Spirit of God is truly in you or not. The tongue, the key battlefront of the body. If the tongue is not gained, the entire body is not gained. If the tongue is gained, the entire body is gained. This is the key battle. I was studying key battles this week to see if I could get a really good metaphor for this. That's where I got the Gettysburg quote. But... It, there isn't, I mean, I'm sure there is one. I just ran out of time. I read about a whole bunch of great battles. 
But I wanted to show you that one type of critical battle that if this little territory is gained, then the rest goes with it. Key battle front of the body. Even so, the tongue is a little member. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and it sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. No man can tame the tongue. Whoa. Serious stuff there. So what's setting on fire your tongue? Well, before you know Jesus, it says you're set on, it's set on fire by the fires of hell. That's about right. That's what most of us have experienced. Our tongue has gotten us into a lot of problems. What happens when Jesus Christ moves into the body? What happens when the Holy Spirit rules the roost? Your tongue is set on fire by the fires of heaven. Now, I don't want to weird you out, but Acts chapter 2 demonstrates exactly that. Tongues set on fire. But now, instead of being used for self-glory, for flesh indulgence, they are now used to praise the glory of the Almighty One. The tongue, the sign of occupied territory. When God moves in, his flag, his high ground where he sticks a flag in the tongue sort of looks like a flag, doesn't it? It's like a banner. Now, I don't want us all to stick it out and see, but it's like a banner. When the tongue is rippling in the wind of the spirit on the high ground of this body it means conquered territory if your tongue is still wielding still speaking forth of the flesh and the devil's business it shows that this body is not owned and operated by god almighty and when the day of pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I'm not going into the other tongues side of it here. What I want you to focus on is that their tongues were being grabbed by God Almighty. Fire from heaven enters into these beings, and what is the evidence? The tongue has been gained. The tongue of the believer is the beachfront, is the foothold of the life. That is when you gain access to that body. Testing the man by his tongue. If you wonder what sort of man he is, just listen. So say you want to evaluate a man, just listen. If you catch him in church, he might put his best tongue forward. However, if you watch him and you hang out with him in his life, when he gets into those difficult things, like when he slams a hammer into his thumb, listen, what comes out? You see, what comes out of a man and out of his tongue will show you what sort of a man he is. I remember my uncle used to test his employees by taking them golfing. And he would evaluate what sort of character they had by how they handled a bad shot. And that would be the demonstration of if they had egretea or not. His tongue will ultimately betray of what lineage he descends, whether he be of the lineage of Adam or whether he be of the new birth and of the descent of Christ, will be revealed in and through his words spoken. By your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Oh, if any man among you seem to be religious, well, that seems like a religious man over there, and bridles not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. 
Someone whose tongue is unbridled, who is, does not have a controlled tongue, does not evidence the life of the Spirit within, well, that man's religion is <clears throat> vain, empty, hollow. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Jesus Christ came to this earth with a very specific agenda. It says that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, says Jesus, that I may bring life and that more abundant. So what's Jesus' agenda? Life. What's the enemy's agenda? Death. Which agenda are you fulfilling? If God Almighty has moved in, which agenda do you think he's going to fulfill with this tongue? He's going to be a life giver. So that's a hallmark. This is the banner that ripples on top of our body to demonstrate what territory this is. Is it God's or is it hell's? James 3. James 3 would be the chapter on the tongue. So it's like you have Proverbs 31, the chapter on a virtuous woman. Job 29, the chapter on the brave-hearted man. James 3, the chapter on the tongue. So if you, this is like the encyclopedia for the tongue. My brethren... Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. In other words, let not many of you just use your tongue to proclaim the truths of the gospel. Be very watchful of how you're using it, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. Did you hear that? If any man does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle the whole body. Do you have Jesus popping into your mind when you hear that? Jesus, it says of him that there was no sin in him, and in his mouth was found no guile. There was no impurity. His tongue was set on fire by the fires of heaven. And as a result, his whole body was bridled. Who's his body? We are. His body is bridled by the perfect man. So if you're going to be a part of the body of Christ, guess what? Your tongue is bridled. Your body, his body, is bridled. It is ruled by egretea. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is the little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. So what it said earlier is that when the tongue is perfected, when the tongue does not speak wrong, it actually rules the entire body. The whole body is perfect. And yet the tongue is set among the members that it defiles the whole body because it's set on fire by the fires of hell. So when the tongue goes bad, the whole body goes bad and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. What kind of spring are you? You prove it with your tongue. This is the defining element of the body of Christ. Are you ruled by the man of God, Jesus? 
or are you ruled by the principalities and powers of darkness? Two key evidences that the body, of, body is captured by Christ. One is confession of sin, and the other is the confession of faith. You see, the reason why this is such a critical dimension of the development of a young believer is because it is a hallmark of gained territory. It is a very difficult thing in this world to actually use your tongue to speak truth. It's a, it's a funny dimension. Confession of sin basically is saying God is right. What I did was wrong. The behavior that has been taking place inside this body was wrong. God is right about that. His judgment is correct. This deserves eternal separation from his presence. What I have done was wrong and against his holy law and his holy standard. I am guilty. That's confession of sin. Confession of faith is God is right and I believe his word on the matter. A confession of faith is saying what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient to purge me, to cleanse me, and forgive me of my sins. What he did on that cross redeemed me from my sin. What he did on that cross was gain access for his Holy Spirit to enter into this body and kick out all that is compromised in this body. I believe. So with the same tongue, we clarify what was wrong in this body and that Goliath shouldn't be ruling here, but he has. And we also clarify that Jesus now has access into this body and as he comes in, Goliath has to go. We clarify both sin and faith. And as a result, that is literally the rippling, wind-rippled flag flying on the top of this territory. And God says, do you see, earth? That territory belongs to me. You see, you cannot confess Jesus Christ if the Spirit of God is not moving upon you. You see, that is the evidence that this territory is being gained. The key points of control in the body. This is just a review. Tongue control, eye control, thought control, appetite control. If any man does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. The thing I want each of you to begin to lay before God Almighty is his tongue. The fact that you have turned to Jesus is a very real thing. The fact that Jesus has gained you is a very real thing. However, you must allow the continued work of the Spirit of God to move past just the concept that he purchased this ring and this ring is going to go to heaven someday. This is what the gospel is just stopped at. God says, I need into the ring and then you need to exert the authority in this ring to see this work full circle so that your body begins to demonstrate that it's my body. This body is meant to show the perfect man. Now, Jesus is perfect. We are a work in process. We are being perfected. And so the only merit we have to enter into the throne room of grace is our faith in Jesus Christ who clothes us. Your tongue may not demonstrate perfection as Christ's did. However, Christ's tongue and his perfection is your righteousness. And that righteousness has acquired you access into the throne room of grace where the spirit of God can enter into this imperfect vessel known as you and can begin to change the behavior of this tongue. So though your tongue may not be perfected, you are clothed in his perfection and his spirit is working, purging out all that doesn't belong in this ring and keeping it out. And you will ever grow in egretea. You will increase in the strength in your body. As you kick out one, you will have an understanding of how to kick out another. 
your job, since you are in Christ and you have the resources and God is convicting you of something that's in your ring, is to respond. Don't just wallow on the mats of your boxing ring and go, whoa, it's me, I've sinned. Rise up and say, but he is a savior. He has done it. And though I am the worst, the chief of sinners, though I have totally disregarded the work of the cross in this ring and called myself a Christian for 30 years, I confess with this mouth, first, that that was sin, but then secondly, that I have everything I need in Jesus Christ to be able to live differently from this day forward. When the tongue is gained, so is the rest of the body. The two operations of Egretea, kick out, keep out. Fully functional in the strength of Christ, when the Egretean growl gets to growling. So these are three qualities that when the Egretean growl is doing its growling, the inner alarm is working. Is your inner alarm working? You know, typically we'd call it a conscience. Well, your conscience is pricked. That was wrong. I, I shouldn't have said that. You see, that's the grace of God. When your inner alarm goes off, you must instantly respond. I didn't say two weeks from now, instantly. And so the inner alarm is working when the Egretean growl is growling. Constantly examining motive, inspecting behavior, and evaluating the spiritual thermostat in the soul. You're getting too hot towards the world. You're getting too cold towards Christ. The alarm will go off. Are you sensitized to that alarm? Number two, the soul is ready for response. Its sword is drawn and ready to respond to any sign, no matter how small, of soul deterioration, moral lassitude, or the encroaching nearness of sinful pollutants. Many of us in here have had those moments or those seasons where we've risen up and we say, I'm not going to live that way anymore, even by the power of the Spirit. And we begin to throw off the deeds of darkness, put aside the weights that beset us and press forward. And then we start coasting again. And the enemy begins to just move subtly closer. I mean, he's not in the ring, he's just closer. You see, he's very sly. And he looks for those moments when we're distracted and then he'll sneak in and say, I'm just, you know, just standing here in the corner. I'm not bothering you. Yeah, that would be a lot of work to have to kick him out right now. And so you mind your own business and pretty soon he's over controlling you and you're under his thumb again. You see, the soul must be constantly ready. The inner alarm must be working. These are the features of Egretea. And finally, the authoritative, authoritative position is recognized. The soul knows its authority, and so when the invader comes, it knows its position in Christ. It exerts the presidential authority. It wields the governmental mandate to spiritually take out that which threatens the Christ life forming in the soul. Testing your personal egretea. Are you ready to defend the body of Christ? Starting here. Are you ready? Are you even defending the body of Christ, speaking locally? Just you, let alone the body of Christ. You see, we have lost the manhood of the church to be able to rise up and defend that which is under siege and under attack. So let's test our personal egretea. First, how egretea is measured. Isn't it a funny thing to think of something like that being measured? When I was in missionary school 20-some years ago, one of my teachers said, humility can be measured. I remember thinking, huh? He said, from the moment you recognize that you were wrong in a matter or that you had pride in a matter, 
from that moment when the alarm goes off to the moment you make it right is the measurement of humility. You see, there's a timer or a clock that starts going tick, 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 tick. And the moment you know that you're wrong, tick, boom, you're on top of it saying that was, that was wrong. That's humility. You know what pride would be? Saying, there's no way I'm saying that. I'm not going to make that right. And so the talk, clock keeps ticking. So humility can be measured in a strange way. Well, that's how egritea works. Egritea is measured by the distance between when you know that alarm has gone off in any arena, whether it's a sexual pollutant, whether, you know, the dirty thought, whether it's uh, recognizing that you're wrong, whether it's you just feel too tired, you don't want to get up and do the thing that you know you need to do. There's a little alarm that goes off in your soul that says that's an incorrect behavior. When that alarm goes off, how quickly do you respond to it? So, number one, this is how you measure Egoditeia, by how quick you notice the invader, is your spiritual alarm working, and two, by how quick you exert your position in Christ and make right what the enemy is attempting to make wrong. Are you strong to respond quickly and decisively? So let's do some measuring. We're just this is like a little pop quiz for each one of us. The measurement of humility. How well do you handle personal error? The moment you recognize that you're wrong, you've done something wrong, the clock starts ticking. The alarm goes off, and you immediately respond. When I was growing up, my alarm would go off. Uh, it was like 4.41 for this whole season. I always had to have an odd number. And the alarm made this very obnoxious sound. I mean, still to this day, it's like repulsive to me. And so the alarm would go off, and I had trained myself to not allow it to beep twice. So it would go, I'd go from a dead sleep to turning that thing off. I hated that sound so much. And that's the same with us. There's a spiritual principle in there. And that is the moment you hear that sound, you instantly, aggressively, from a dead sleep, will awaken. Out of your stupor and your inebriated state, you rise up, you say, no, no more. That's agriteia. That's how the Spirit of God works. The measurement of courage. How well do you respond to the suggestion of fear? When the enemy comes in with fear and he begins to bait you, have you ever felt that? It's like that hollow feeling in your stomach, your knees actually start knocking. Uh-huh. How quickly do you respond to that and say, wait a minute, I'm in Christ. No, out. I will not submit to that. How quickly do you respond? The measurement of purity. How well do you respond to temptation? When that temptation comes, the classic pictures, you're driving down the road and there's a billboard there. And you didn't put the billboard up. You're not responsible for it. You're not the one paying for the ad campaign. And yet you're the one driving. And you saw it. Just glanced over there, you saw it. But how are you going to handle it from this point forward? The way I train men is that I look at it as revolutions in the mind. The fact that it entered the mind, it stops right there. And you do not turn it over even once. You, that's egretea. No. And then there's that pulling, that luring to say you need to look at it again just to clarify if it really was good or bad. But how do you know if you don't look again? This is how the enemy works. You cannot play the enemy's game. You say no. You have an egretean growl. Nope. And you keep your eye on the road or look over here. Of course, there may be a billboard over there. And so you're like, you know what? I'm going to stare at that license plate. <laughs> the measurement of industry. Industry is 
a continued diligence. It's like a work ethic. The measurement of industry, how well do you respond to tiredness and physical weakness? If you have children, there is a great challenge in the middle of the night, usually around two in the morning, is when a child has an issue. And when you're in the middle of the night, there's a tendency to look to your spouse to do something instead of you. Any, any of you that are married with kids understand how this works. And one of the hardest things is when there's something, you see, we have predefined things. Like, I'm always in charge of the nights. And if ever there is, like, an extra dimension of something, like, I'm trying to think of an illustration, but, like, something that belongs to Leslie's jurisdiction, like giving medicine. I, I don't give medicine. You know, and I, I have all my reasons, probably, I can whip out. It's like, it's just not safe to have a man give medicine. Uh, <laughs> But then when Leslie's having to deal with something over here and she says, could you do this? And it's like that request for me to do that one thing that I just do not feel comfortable doing. And then what I could do is I could sit there and go, yeah, I'll deal with that in a bit. And what does the alarm say? Rise up without hesitation, say, sure, I'll do that. The whole while I'm thinking, no, I'm not going to listen to that voice. I'm not going to listen to the reasoning of the devil on this point. I'm going to go straight to do it with industry. How quickly do I respond? The measurement of attentiveness, how well do you respond to distraction? The measurement of faith, how well do you respond to the bait of doubt? Are you quick when doubt comes in, or do you let it sit a while? The measurement of joy, how well do you respond to trials? You know, trials are the opportunity for joy. You have joy, use it. The measurement of peace, how well do you respond to the bait of anxiety, fretting, and foreboding? The measurement of kindness, how well do you respond to the needs of those around you? The measurement of gentleness, how well do you respond to harsh treatment from others? This is what Egoritea is for. Egoritea is for control over the body life. And each one of these things is part of your life. Some of those you may not have passed very well with flying colors. And yet, God intends you to begin to pass these tests. And where if anyone's watching from the outside, they would see that your tongue, your instant response, your thoughts, everything are being guarded and measured. You are keeping out the junk, or you're kicking out the junk and you're keeping it out. The flesh bait. Here's the classic baits. Give it another look. Give it a little longer. Why do we fall for these things? Give it a little longer. You've already gone this far. You might as well keep going because God's going to forgive it all anyways, so you might as well milk it for all it's worth. That isn't God talking, by the way. You deserve this. Now, if we want to talk about what you deserve, it's called hell. So let's not go there. God knows you need a little break, does he? God will forgive this. You ever notice that the only time the devil talks about forgiveness is when he's baiting you towards sin? Yeah, he's not really interested in God's forgiveness for you. He wants to trap you. He wants to snare your soul. Don't fall for it. The Egretean growl. No. Uh-uh. Not on my watch, you don't. Get out. This territory belongs to Jesus Christ. That's the soul. That's the soul's enunciation. That's called the Egretean growl. When that alarm starts to go off, you need to know your position. You need to know that you have the authority to rule over this ring. Well, 
that you have walls to protect this city. That the enemy doesn't just be, he can't just accomplish anything he wants inside this territory. No. Uh Uh-uh. I don't know if that's how you spell uh uh-uh, but I I thought it was. But uh, that's what it's supposed to be. Uh Uh-uh. No. Not on my watch. Wolf comes in, tries to steal one of the sheep. What does David do? Runs after it, breaks its jaw. Egretea. The Egretean growl. Quit you like men, church of Jesus Christ. Be strong. Stand in the grace, the power, and the authority that Jesus Christ has bequeathed to us at the cross. You are not the plaything of the devil. Your soul is conquered territory, redeemed territory. It belongs to him to showcase his nature to all the world. God is preparing you to be excellent in marriage, preparing you to be excellent in family and raising children, to be excellent in leading the church, to be excellent in leading nations. But to do that, you first have to be excellent in ruling this body. If you learn how to rule this body well, everything begins to follow suit. Same principle everywhere you go. You learn to treat the sheep with kindness, gentleness, love, and mercy, and you learn to clobber the wolves in the jaw. You need to know how to handle darkness and handle light, how to discern between the two, and how to preserve the integrity of what God is building in the body of a Christian. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.